Creative Connectors, a podcast for curious minds. My name's Vicky Keeler, and I'll be chatting to the makers and creators who aim to connect and inspire through the platform of festivals. We'll be delving into how they show up in the world, why they do what they do, their journey, inspiration, and everything in between. So sit back and enjoy the chat, because who knows where these conversations are going to go. And if this is your kind of podcast, please subscribe, follow, share with friends, and get involved and give some feedback. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Asher Luber. He is the director of Elite Image Events, The Timber Yard, and The Petting Zoo Festival. So thanks for coming on and having a chat with me, Asher. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Um, I mean, obviously you do a lot in terms of your uh, kind of role and involvement in events and things. It would be great to kick off and understand a little bit about where your journey began and how you became so immersed in festivals, events, and yeah, everything that goes along with it. Yeah. So I think for me, it was kind of a a natural progression. When I was really, really little, I remember playing with electronics. I used to cut the cables off uh, vacuum cleaners at my friend's houses and, and that sort of progressed to like unplugging and plugging in people's stereo systems when I was sleeping over at people's houses. And, and then, you know, I I started having a love and and, uh, learning to love technical production, which is a part of what I do now, which is, which is really exciting. Um, and then, um, you know, I started working for, as soon as I could work, I think it was 14 and nine months, I started working for technical production companies, um, doing um, uh, event installations for sound, lighting, video, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so I gained sort of experience in, in that field. Um, and then my first sort of pivot to festival work was, I think, when I was 17 years old and I did... Um, sensation white on new year's eve which is a, a large um dutch dance party mm. and i wasn't even old enough to be at the event say, like you started um, pretty young and <laughs> in in the thick of yeah, it yeah yeah it was crazy and i and i just finished my year 12 exams um and they got me a hotel room and they really showed me you know it was a five-day bump in a 24-hour bump in for the event because they had the soccer in the uh eddie had stadium before so we had a very very tight turnaround and then that was my first um festival and then after that, I think I just I just thrived to continue, you know, creating those experiences, and 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 that's sort of where it all started in, in terms of the festival world. And then that's when I started my production company, and and then you know, and we sort of specialize in in large scale festival planning, um, from from all sort of aspects, from you know permitting and compliance to production and design, um, and yeah, I mean, it, I've been lucky enough that you know, the work's sort of taken me all around the world and, um, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Right into it from a very early age. And obviously you've probably seen events and festivals transform so much over that time from, you know, the age of kind of like yeah. 17 to now. Um, what has been some of, I guess, the key, key highlights? Like I know you've traveled around the world and been involved in even things like fire festival. Like what are the, some of the key moments that you're super proud of that you just look back on and cherish i mean i mean i guess fire fest would have to be one i mean from from our part i mean i guess we did everything that we you know intended and planned to do but you know i guess the whole festival is nothing to be proud of but <laughs> the experience was something you know i'll never forget and i made friends for life and 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 sort of 
that would have been spending six weeks in the Bahamas um, on an, a remote island w- working with all the, you know, all the guys that people saw in the documentaries yeah. and whatnot. I think that was definitely an experience and watching some really, really bad decisions being made <laughs> on the daily was, was phenomenal. And I just had to keep my mouth shut. But you know what? It was, it was phenomenal to see it on the ground and in person. So I reckon that would have to be a highlight, maybe working on Ultra Music Festival in Miami yeah. for a month. Um, it was the 15th year anniversary over two weekends. So that was something special, working with some of the biggest um, music producers from all around the world. Amazing. I think that would, that would probably be a highlight. But... Yeah, I mean, even the small things in, you know, in Victoria, I just, you know, everything's a highlight for me. I I love it. I mean, just from speaking to you previously, there's so much passion that comes through uh, in terms of the love for actually events and what you do and, yeah, connecting with people. Um, What are the kind of, I guess, what are the key things that you've learned along your journey or that you kind of never really expected from the role that you now find yourself in? Uh, I think probably one of the key things I learned from a young age is uh, because I was so young in the industry and more often than not, I would be um, overseeing teams of people who are quite a bit older than me. I learned to um, direct teams in a way and show them that everyone's on the same level. We're all working together on the same, to the same cause. And, you know, the reason why, I'm employing you is because you're the professional in your field and therefore I want you to make all those decisions because you know more about it than I do. So I think relinquishing control and and sort of getting on everyone's level because you're no better than anyone else um, working on the event. Everyone has their role and you couldn't do it without anyone else. So I think that that's probably one of the things I've taken through, through the years of, um, of, you know, this sort of work. Yeah. Yeah. You've definitely got to be a team player, I think to, um, be able to work in events and especially when it comes to festival land um and kind of whether it's the build or kind of like on the ground or you know there's so many different teams that are involved in actually making you know these incredible events happen um you've obviously worked on quite a few different types of festivals and events how do you kind of see festivals and events playing a role in culture and society today I mean, I think that festivals are so important um, for for culture and society because, I mean, people live such stressful lives, Mm. you know, nine to five working Monday to Friday and for them to have something to look forward to, a release, a time to come together with friends and enjoy experiences, you know, sometimes in in remote locations without, without your connection to the outside world, those things stimulate um, a growth inside that I think is so important for for people to have, and I think that's one of the biggest things, at least for me, um, you know, to, to be able to to connect with people on a really raw level and and take everything outside of society, um, you know, outside of your daily life, um, put it all away and and just uh, enjoy you know pure happiness. Mm. And I think that's yeah, that that's that's definitely something that's. Uh, a big part of it if you are not working and you're at an event where would we find you where do you spend most of your time 
I'm I'm a I'm a lone soldier. It's uh, yeah. weird. Like I'll go I'll go to a I'll go to a festival with a group of friends and then everyone knows I'm off and I'm walking around by myself. Yep. I usually do one lap of the festival on the first day to, to say hi to people that I know who who are working at that festival. And then I just find myself in in different situations with without my friends and I, I just love it like that. I mm. love meeting new people and I love to just talking to the different like stall holders and vendors and and um you know, just just connecting with with random people without having my friends there, and I think probably the the place you'd see me the most would be, or oh, the front right hand side of the dance floor. Very specific um, at a festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's me and my friends. We have a specific spot, and and sort of that's that's where it is. So front right, if you want to find me. I'll All right. Well, I'll I'll come and hunt you out on a dance floor sometime. See if, see if I can find you there. I feel that. like half a festival is always like <laughs> front left or front right, and then you're like, yeah, everyone's got the same plan. How on earth are we going to find one another? <laughs> yeah, you realize how deep front left and front right is. Then <laughs> yeah. there's different compartments to each one. It's pretty yeah, funny. Exactly. <laughs> um, obviously, you've got that amazing network in in terms of knowing lots of people across the industry and you know in all different shapes and forms have you ever thought about I'd love to do more of this sort of role or was it always just I'm in the right role this is me this is for life or is it kind of like shifted and evolved over time yeah so totally it's totally shifted and evolved um and I've loved every progression of it so I started in technical production which is lighting sound staging engineering um for for the technical side of an event and that's that's where i had my first glimpse of festival world and then i started going into um event operations and site management and permitting and compliance and sort of the broad array of 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 what i do now is is um oversee each aspect of that sort of um department for, for, for an event. So a, a promoter would call me and, and I would, you know, essentially produce the festival on behalf of the promoter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that enables me to dip my hand into every, um, part of the festival, um, you know, w- which I love. So I, I get to be able to do everything that I love to do, um, and not sort of just stick into one role, which is, which is really exciting. So it's ever changing and, um, you know, I get to be a part of each aspect of it. Yeah. Nice. What would be your top tip or piece of advice for someone who might be looking to, you know, follow in a similar journey to you, whether they might be 17 looking to go into the industry or maybe they're like further down the track and, yeah, just looking to get involved in a role similar to yours or with festivals? Look, I think um, kind of the way I did it was... I was just calling around to every sort of um, event organizer, any person that I knew who had sort of any connection to, you know, whether it was the technical production or, or the, the festival, um, you know, I would inquire and offer my services, you know, for, and especially if you're young and you're still learning, just offer to be a volunteer um, in, a, in a certain department. And, and just put your hand up for anything and everything you can. And as you gain that experience, um, that's something you can put forward to the next person that employs mm. you to say that this is what I've done. I've got experience in this. You can continue working in that department or you can try something else. But I think the most important thing is to, to put your hand up and, and say, oh, I want to do this, even if it's, you know, even if you're not making any money, um, the experience is what's key here because um, people in my position now look for people 
with that experience. It's not what you've learned at university. It's can you actually do the job? And so if you've actually done the job before, I think that's that's the biggest key to, to sort of continuing and thriving through the industry. Yeah, and I think, you know, to your point, it's like I always say just try different things and have a crack at it because I know even from me growing up, I never really knew exactly what I wanted to be or do. I wanted to be an artist and paint in my ideal world. Um, and my brother was the opposite end of the spectrum. He always knew he wanted to be an architect. And I used to envy that. I was like, oh, he knows what he wants to do. But I kind of just like threw myself into um, stuff, tried different things to work out what I was good at, what I enjoyed, where did my passions lie, what do I want to do more of? And I think if you can act like a sponge, I always say, and soak up everything around you, it's only going to help you understand more of where you want to place your time. And showing people that totally. you are that sponge and that you want to learn as a manager is so, like, desirable because you're just like, this person wants it. And then you want it yeah, to, yeah. you want to give it to them and help them get there. 100%. You know, we can we can definitely see, you know, the people who want it the most. Mm. And the people who want it the most are always going to work the hardest and work the extra hours. And, you know, they're the people that you want to have in your team. When it's 3 a.m. and you're, you're opening doors to the festival at 8 a.m., but we're going to be working all through the night to make sure that, you know, that the festival opens on time. You know, it's those people who are standing beside you who are the ones who, you know, are going to thrive in the industry and... and, and Hey, look, festival work is is, is hard. It's long yeah. hours. Um, you know, the pay is not great. So when you're you know when you when you're in the thick of it, you better love it. Yeah. Because if you don't, you you know you won't you won't last long. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to uh, yeah, working on festivals of different levels and sizes, what's the uh, kind of key differences that you've seen or experienced throughout your role? So, so um, I actually get this question quite a bit, and there's not actually much that changes from a festival for a thousand people to a festival to fifty thousand people. And the only real things that change is the quantity of staffing that you have and the quantity of infrastructure that you have on the site. So, otherwise, the planning remains the same. I mean, the only thing you're, you're increasing is you know things like your medical security staff, um, infrastructure, so water stations, toilets, um, that sort of ticketing stations. Um, But the crux of of planning a festival remains the same from, you know, a 1,000-person multi-day festival to a 50,000-person multi-day festival. So um, once you understand the core of what needs to be done... um, there's, you know, it's 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 the same level of thinking you have going into a, a huge multi-million dollar um, production versus a, you know, fifty thousand dollar, you know, friend's birthday party essentially. Or actually, no, no friend's birthday party's costing fifty thousand dollars, but you get what <laughs> yeah, I mean. Maybe a celebrity. So, <laughs> maybe a celebrity, definitely. But everything remains the same. So you're only just increasing quantities of of everything, um, infrastructure and staffing. Otherwise, everything else remains the same. Yeah. And is there anything that you've never done that you've always wanted to do at a festival in terms of like an execution of something or? Oh, okay. I've got got a good one. So 
uh, one of my business partners for um, Petting Zoo Festival. We, we had this idea and, and we were so close to executing it. Um, we wanted for the end of the event to have a, a two and a half meter or a three meter disco ball to fly over the dance floor yeah. for the last track of the festival. Wow. And so, so we, we almost got there. We almost got the CASA approval from um, the airspace. We booked the helicopter, which is a freight helicopter, so it lifts tons of, of infrastructure, and we got the disco ball. Um, the only thing was the, the approval um, for the, uh, the CASA approval didn't work because the disco ball is so reflective that at night – when the um, when the pilots are wearing their night vision goggles, um, all the reflection from the disco ball would make the pilots blind. Oh, right. So, unfortunately, we couldn't <laughs> fly the disco ball over the dance floor, but we were so close to doing it, and it was uh, it was it was actually it was an awesome idea, and we almost did it. But you know, hopefully, if there's new technology in the futures, we'll be able to do it. Yeah, if pilots can get non-blinding goggles, then the disco ball yeah. may happen at future events. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Or we can come up with a more creative way. We actually did hang a three-metre disco ball using a 50-tonne crane in Miami um, over the dance floor, which was really good. But unfortunately, that shit doesn't fly in Australia. Oh, so, damn it. Um, too many restrictions. You know, there's too many regulations around it. But that crane driver had the best experience of his life because he was watching these huge headliners for three days sitting in his crane yeah. watching the thing. It was pretty amazing. He just sat he there lucky. just manning a dis- giant disco ball. He, he said it was the best job in 25 years. He was the best job he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's probably not normally doing anything to do with kind of disco balls if you're a, a cr- like somebody who mans a crane, right? That, that's exactly right. So he was, he was a very, very lucky guy. Is there a big difference then, you know, obviously in terms of those restrictions that you mentioned from Australia not allowing the flying disco ball, but you can get one up in America. Is there like a, a great differentiation in terms of what you can execute in the likes of the US versus Australia? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Australia is a nanny country, so the the regulations and hoops that we have to jump through to do anything in Australia is far more than in the States. Um, they don't have the depth of the regulation that we have here, so when it comes to, like, getting a planning permit done, it's just a matter of speaking to the city council and getting the uh, getting a, an ex-police chief on board, paying them and, uh, you know, and having them, you know, write all your your, uh, your permit documentation. Um, and when it comes to executing the event, there's far less um, regulations on site. You know, you don't have to have forklift tickets. You don't have to have scissor lift tickets. Um, you know, there's, there's, you don't have high vis or, or, um, or climbing harnesses when you're climbing high structures. Oh, wow. So... There's a lot. There's a lot to go wrong, and and there's a reason why there's a lot of um, issues that have happened in the states when it comes to festival um, disasters, um, and and I guess we're sort of a prime example of, of what to do because you know what you know best practice I guess because we have you have to jump through so many hoops in order to do anything. Mm. So it's it's a good thing because the government's looking after our safety, and over there there's just it's a bit of a mis- mismanagement when it comes to you know. Events and, and that, <laughs> yeah, free range, which is good, which is good, good in some extent. cases because some cases, <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, you absolutely need it when you're, you know, when you're uh, 12 hours out from an event and there's some things you just need to get done in, in some not so kosher ways to get the, the event over the line. Um, so it's good, good and bad, but I, I think Australia is definitely a, um, you know, a, a, a star when it comes to like a, a role model of, uh, of how to do things, yeah, yeah. and. 
in terms of Australia, what's your perception on yeah how the how the landscapes changed over the last few years uh, in terms of festivals and has it been a similar shall we say growth or trajectory to America or is the nuances that you've noticed in the landscape in Oz? Um, I think we had yeah actually it's it's an interesting one because if you go back to uh, 2009 2010 there was a big electronic music boom um, both in the states and in Australia and by 2015 16 that had sort of worn off um, in Australia and that continues to still thrive in America which is why they have these big EDM festivals with you know 100,000 plus people mm. regularly and and that sort of died out and we're now in more of a boutique a smaller market where people expect a lot more for their the value of money um, for the, the ticket price that they're paying for um, and so with those expectations in Australia it's allowed us um, as festival producers to, to push you know, to create cooler things, you know, that people want, um, more exciting activations and, and, and really cool boutique events. Um, and so sort of in America, you've still got, I mean, you, you do have a few of those, but predominantly you've still got these big stages yeah. with a big bar and a big dance floor and these big artists. Um, and everyone seems to be happy over there. So I guess we've, we've sort of pushed further, um, in, in sort of that standpoint than, than America has. Yeah. In terms of what you would like to see more of or are there things that you would like to see change in the industry? Um, look, we have really good regulation. And just to go back to it, we've got really good regulation um, when it comes to sort of planning and whatnot. But I, I really I really would hope as the generations of um, uh, lawmakers in Australia, you know, move on to the next generation... Uh, they sort of understand the dynamic of, 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 of what these festivals are and how much they mean to um, the, the patrons because, you know, in the current climate, you've got, you know, your 50, 60-plus-year-olds writing these um, these permits who don't really understand um, the sort of festival climate and therefore um, they put up a lot of barriers yeah. um, and... And don't allow festivals to thrive. And I guess we'll see a change in the next 10, 20 years, or hopefully in the next 10 years, where we have younger generation who, who have grown up around festivals and understand the importance of them. Um, and, and, and hopefully, you know, it'll be easier um, to, you know, to put on an event um, like a festival. Um, and not to say that, you know, all, all, the regu- all the regulations would still, you know, need to be fulfilled and, and, and documents, you know, above board, but it should be easier than it currently is now to, to sort of run an event. Um, and hopefully that changes over the next 10 years. And would you say that's kind of like some of the, or the main ongoing challenges that you face as an event organizer is the hoops that you've got to jump through. It's the, yeah, permitting and things like that, that are in place that you're like, it's just, it's not as collaborative maybe as it could be. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that's that's the biggest thing. And, and now with a promoter starting out, I mean, you have to have a lot of money and a you know a lot of balls um, to put on the line mm. because with with all the regulation and and um, getting a planning permit for an event, it's so difficult now. 
Um, so you've really got to go through a lot of hoops, um, and it's it's actually quite tough to to get it over the line. So you've really got to employ the right people, um, people who who have connections with council always help you know you you start out, you sort of have to start looking in these avenues you know who's who's who and who because you know it makes it a lot easier to get things over the line when you when you know someone who's friends with this person or that person yeah. um and you know and 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 i guess i hope that changes over, over the next few years when we have more progressive um councillors and 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 permit um makers and, and whatnot so yeah it, it is it is the difficult the most difficult part of of putting on event is the whole permitting and compliance factor and 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 that really stops a lot of festivals dead in its tracks dead in its tracks um you know to for allowing it to go ahead the, obviously you can study uh event management and stuff but i don't know whether that's a you know a key thing that individuals get taught if they are kind of doing education around event management or whether it's something that you've literally just got to learn on the fly on the job and that's going to be a hard way to go about it right if you've not got somebody who you know mentoring them or can connect with somebody like yourself who's got that experience who's probably you know tried and tested and gone the the hard way and the long way around over the years Definitely. It's, it's really a, like a learning by doing sort of thing. I mean, I would highly recommend for anyone who's starting an event to employ someone with experience in permitting and compliance and understands how to go about these things. Um, but I mean, you don't get taught these things um, in, you know, basic event management. Um, these are things you just learn along the way and you learn how to deal with these things um, as they rise. So you're more confident the next time you're doing a planning permit, you know what to say, what not to say, when to say it. Um, and, you know, those things play a huge part in, in you getting that, that event over the line. Yeah. Did you have like a mentor or anybody that really helped you on your journey? Um, I think I had, you know, when I was 17, I reached out to uh, an event called um, Sensation White, which is the first oh, yeah. big event that I did. And they put put me in touch with the local producer, who's a guy by the name of James Klein. And uh, he employed me to work on, on the show with him. And, um, and he was the one who actually took me and, and um, put me after I did that show with him and he saw my passion and the love of what I do and, you know, and, and how I, how I work and whatnot. He was the one who actually took me and said, all right, next up, we've got the MTV awards in, uh, in Sydney. So you're coming to the MTV awards. So, and that's, and then it, you know, but then it went to ultra Miami. And, and so he was definitely a mentor in sort of learning the ropes in the festival world. So I would say definitely him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like it's often something that, um, doesn't necessarily happen as often um, in creative industries in terms of mentorship. Like it happens a lot when it comes to business and and that side of things. But I think overarching, just from my personal perspective and the different individuals that I know in different roles, I feel like there could be a lot more um, mentorship or encouragement of mentorship to help people in industry. Definitely, definitely, and, and it, it's hard to find. And I think he saw, um, and to go off what I was saying before, is he saw my passion, mm. and he wanted you know to take me on board and and to to push me forward. And and you know I I honestly think that if you want if you want to find a mentor, um, you've got to reach out to them, show them how much you love it, and uh, and hopefully they can see that and want to um, develop your skills and you know and push you forward in the industry. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, if anybody's out there and needs to learn about events, maybe they can reach out to you. They, you could potentially be yeah, a mentor. Yeah, give me a call. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to help. Yeah, amazing. Um, going back to, I guess, yeah, some of the uh, exciting adventures that you've been on in terms of your career, are there any wild stories that you've got to share that would give people a insight into some of the, the crazy stuff that you've been up to in events? Yeah, I think maybe if I had to choose oh, one or two, I would say, I mean, at Fire Festival there were so many stories, but one, one story I particularly remember is um, being in the operations house um, with where all the teams assembled and I was just sitting there minding my own business and I'm listening to the um, accommodation manager say, guys, we've, we've run out of accommodation for all the crew. Um, you know, the, the festival's in four days. We have, you know, 500 crew about to arrive and we have nowhere to sleep them. What are we going to do? And then um, the Grant, one of the, the festival directors said, uh, I've got a great idea. You know, let's, let's just hire a cruise liner and we'll just park it up, <laughs> at, you know, on, on, and, and dock it. And, and the other guys were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Look into that. And so I'm here, here there I'm thinking... You know, these guys are crazy. You're going to want to get a cruise liner, you know, 24 hours out from from the you know the, the staff arriving. Anyway, I leave the I leave the, the office and uh, and I wake up the next morning. I look out my window at you know 7 a.m. and I see a giant cruise liner sitting right in the water, 200 meters out, <laughs> just like that. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way they did this. So I go I go, I go back into the uh, into the the operations house and um, I say to them, guys, whose cruise liner is that? And they're like, we we got the cruise liner. I'm like, you're joking. And he's like, no, we, we managed to book it. It cost us half a million US dollars for seven days. Wow. Um, and uh, and then and then when they boarded the cruise liner, they realized that it was a luxury cruise liner. So they decided to put all the influencers on the cruise liner yeah. because they were nicer and put all the all the staff in these houses they, they had for the influencers. <laughs> so I, it was just and, and and those decisions were being made all the time like we would have we would have um you know staff that missed their flights just 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 general crew that missed their flights so they'd put them on a private jet to the Bahamas because oh um, there's only one just flight a day. To burn. So there was just <laughs> money, money like you wouldn't believe, millions of dollars every day just being thrown around like you, like you wouldn't believe. So like, it was, where is this never-ending pot coming from? Like, is this for real? I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then speaking to some of the investors saying, guys, like, I'm in too deep now. You know, they asked me for another million today and I guess i got to give it to oh them. So God, it's like wow. they knew they were in too deep and they knew they were pot committed, so they just got to keep throwing good money after bad money. Any other amazing tales, wild adventures that really stand out? Um, yeah, I mean, they, we, there's always – so behind the scenes of, of a multi-day festival, because you're operating a city, there is just so much going on that people don't know. And I think some of the highlights are some of the counter-surveillance operations that we've had to run in order to catch people out. So, for example, we had um, counterfeit – $50 notes being distributed around the around the whole festival by a syndicate. Yeah, wow. And it was sort of on me and my team to to find out who was distributing these fake notes and we um, developed a, a counter surveillance operation and cordoned off the event area to single out and find um, the the distributors and you know after 
I think it was like 12 hours or something, we managed to single out um, the, the person distributing the fake $50 notes by speaking to the um, you know all the vendors and letting them know to check every note that's coming through. And once they see a note, take a photo of the person, send it to operations, and we can then sort of get a picture of the person. And so these operations happen a lot. You know, when you've got people who have committed assaults, um, you know, or... Um, there's, yeah, there's just just a lot of this sort of stuff going on. So those, I think those are the situations that I thrive in the most, and I absolutely love it. Um, when you're just like, yeah, yeah a lot thinking of fun. on your feet a and solving problems. Yeah, exactly. Ever changing situation and problem solving. Exactly that sort of stuff. And I guess so no one really thinks I about think it, that side of, you know, I mean, scamming in general, just in the world, has completely changed since mm. like the internet and stuff. Is that something that you'd say is common in most events, or has it been on the increase? Like, I mean, I yeah, I I don't have much experience or knowledge myself around it. Yeah, so pe- so people sort of know that when you go to a multi day festival, you know, you've got to bring cash for food and whatnot, and you know, so people generally have, you know, their phones, their cash. Um, you know, on site, and, and 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 then you know, you as as like a, a crime syndicate. There's there's often been crime syndicates at festivals that will go during a key headliner um, uh, where everyone's going to be on the dance floor for, and they'll go through tents and they'll steal anything that they can. And this happens quite often. And then you get a series of reports right after the headliner finishes, and everyone goes back to their camp and realise things have been stolen. You start getting all the reports coming through, and then it's your job to now find. Um, you know the perpetrators and and there's certain um, different ways of doing it and that's sort of the things that I I love doing so uh, it's a a ever-changing landscape and it's pretty exciting yeah I mean obviously you know festivals are an amazing place but there are always going to be those few that you know do upset it and uh, you know take advantage of a scenario I think it's kind of hard to change the makeup of humanity um unfortunately definitely what would you like to see in the future um or how do you see events and festivals evolving over time i know covid is probably enforced a bit of a, a shift in the maybe short term potentially long term but what's your take on on where things could be going i think we're going to start seeing a regeneration of Festivals, and I think COVID has definitely brought that on because it's COVID sort of decimated the events industry, and people have to start from scratch now. And you know, with with the limitations on capacities for events, you're starting, you're going to start seeing a lot of smaller events, um, a lot of new, interesting ways of doing events. You know, with the restrictions. So with that, you're going to see a lot of new. Um, changes and you know especially with social distancing guidelines and whatnot and even after that you know even during covid we saw a lot of a lot of changes um uh, people come out with unique ways of, of sort of hosting events and that's going to be carried through um you know past past once once this whole um, pandemic is over and you know we hope that, that there's going to be new creative ways of, of of doing things with smaller numbers um and there's going to be a lot of smaller events taking place and and the big events are going to start having to move into a, a different you know a, a more boutique style um to be able to cater for those restricted numbers so i i think that we're going to start seeing a lot of smaller events um and you know hopefully hopefully in time we'll be able to get back to those yep. bigger ones i mean once once something like a, a vaccination occurs um but for now i think we're going back to the roots yeah and so i guess that your work will remain in australia a fair bit so 
because of uh, like travel not being able to happen and things like that like what did COVID mean for you were you primarily focused on what was here anyway yeah well I I was yeah well no I was scheduled to go to Miami to do a festival called Three Points in March now that got postponed till October and then it got postponed again till February and I was supposed to go to Holland in July um, for a festival which also got cancelled you know, I'm not going to be leaving the country for a while, which is fine. Um, you know, there's, I guess there's enough here to keep me occupied. But, you know, I absolutely love working in, in those different environments with, you know, with people from different countries and, and learning and, and taking in different things. So yeah. I'm going to miss that. But hopefully, you know, I'll be back overseas again soon. Do you have any grand ambitions on where you want to take, yeah, whether it's the, the petting zoo or the timber yard or any grand ambitions or future plans that you can disclose to the world? Oh, um, I mean, I'm always trying to think big. Um, I definitely want to open a few more venues around Australia. So I think that's our next step um, to open a similar style, um, you know, something like the timber yard where we've taken an industrial estate and turned it into an operational venue. So I definitely want to plan... um, you know, we're, we're looking at doing that over, over a few different cities. Um, and definitely the Petting Zoo Festival, like, you know, we did Melbourne and Sydney last year and we hope to expand um, around Australia and hopefully to Bali next year. So, um, and I've got a, a, a few people who want to bring it to America. So, you know, we'll, we'll just keep pushing on those fronts and global expansion is definitely on the cards. But, you know, we've got to start small, start somewhere and, and just, you know, go go with it and see what happens but yeah definitely excited to to see how you know where things take us for the future amazing well i think it's exciting to have global domination and expansion as a goal on your list uh (laughs) you definitely seem like you're a go-getter and someone who achieves their goals when they put their mind to it so i think that's uh incredibly exciting um are there kind of any other Thank areas you. that you feel really passionate about when it comes to events or festivals that you would love to talk to? Um, I mean, look, I think I think I, I just I love I love um, talking to people about mm. the other side um, of festivals, and that is. You know, from, from what you see in front of you when you attend an event, you see the glitz, the glamour, the lighting and the sound and the, you know, the attractions. And there's there's just so much going on behind the scenes in order to keep that, um, you know, to keep that alive. And I love talking to people about, you know, the operational aspects of, of sort of running a large scale event like that and sort of giving people who have been attending festivals for 10, 15 years the insight into what it takes to actually put something like this on. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always keen to, to sort of chat about that sort of stuff. Um, and it excites me. It's my passion. Yeah. What um, would you say is the number one skill that you need to be able to do what you do? Oh, I would say decisive decision-making abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to think on your feet. Yeah. Um, and I guess you have to be able to good at assessing risks while thinking on your feet. Those two things have to come into play because, you know, there's, it's a, again, an ever changing landscape of, of things that are constantly happening in a festival. And when you have to make a decision on a certain thing, you have to factor in many different risks. Um, but that decision has to be made on the fly and you have to, you have to sit with your decision and be comfortable with it. So I think um, d- definitely like a decisive decision-making 
um, ability is, is, is one of the biggest things to, to sort of have. Yeah. A lot of responsibility comes with the sort of role that you do. You know, some of those decisions that you are making can impact hundreds and thousands of individuals, right? So is that something that weighs heavy on you when you're in that mode or do you just go into like autopilot and you're like, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, this is like the decision and yeah, to your point, just sit with it and be comfortable in it? A hundred percent. That's my. That's me and my friends call call me uh, uh, operator mode. Yeah. And when I'm in operator mode, uh, it's, it's just second nature. So when you're dealing with serious critical things like medical situations um, and that sort of stuff. It's, I mean, again, it comes from sort of experience in, in dealing with things in the past and you learn from, you learn from um, situations like this that have happened and you're confident in your ability to make a decision on, on a certain thing or you bring in a team member that um, has that experience or the reason why you've employed them is because they understand those things and you get them to, to make a call on it with you. Um, but for the most part, I'm pretty fluid when it comes to on the fly decision making and from, from, you know, all the critical things, I guess it's second nature now. Mm. And with that, you know, sadly things can go wrong at events, um, not to labor on the negative, but that's where the media paints a pretty unfair picture of events and festivals I would say in mainstream news what's your take on that because you know you have lived and breathed events and festivals from such a young age have you seen the media landscape change or um has it has it always kind of felt like there's been a, a sort of negative narrative and and how does that sit with you for somebody who does this day in day out and you absolutely love what you do um i think as the the festival landscape has become more and more commercialized over the last 10 years um you start seeing you know media outlets starting to pick up on things um not much has really changed in the festival landscape but because it's got more and more exposure um, the media are taking more, you know, close particular attention to it. And so when things like certain medical incidents that result in, in deaths happen, they start, you know, as, as the media do, they start throwing, you know, preposterous headlines at it and, and without, without looking at the actual facts and figures and, and what's really happened. And that really is a huge detriment to the event industry because it really casts a dark shadow on... Um, you know, the, the festival, the particular festival in hand or, or any events of that nature. Um, and and the, the media have that power to be able to do that. And without understanding everything, you know, they can, they can decimate, you know, a festival or an event or a whole scene um, just by, by putting out headlines. And, and so it's about sort of teaching the media and, and, and sort of having the ability to go out to the media and, and write a statement and give them facts and, and information um, so they can write an accurate um, story that rep- truly represents the situation at hand. Um, and so these are the things as festival promoters and event producers that, um, you know, we constantly face now more than ever. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important to sort of deal with the media in the right way to ensure, you know, the longevity of an event but also, you know, the, the festival scene itself. Mm. It's a very small percent of things that may go wrong or have gone wrong or can go wrong. And there's so much goodness and greatness 
that comes from events and bringing people together and enabling people to, as you were saying, you know, at the beginning of our chat, have a release from the everyday or experience something different from the everyday and, you know, bring joy into their lives. I think it's just so unfortunate and saddening that, you know, society as a whole is kind of spun this 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 negative narrative and that's where the primary focus is versus okay that's like five percent say exactly and exactly five percent of all these 100%. other incredible things that are happening exactly and the only way sort of that narrative is going to be changed is in in the next generation of people in power, people you know in in the media who have attended festivals, who understand festival culture, um, that that's sort of what's going to change the the media narrative because they've been through it, they understand it. Right now, we're talking to mums and dads and you know older generation people who who have not understood festival culture and therefore they you know take media bias and then you know make it make it out to be the worst thing in the world so you know hopefully we see that change in the media as as the years go on yeah yeah and I think it's something you know even having you know spoken to a few different people for this podcast I think it's it's good to bring this conversation up and have this in mind because we can all play a part in actually changing that narrative in actually sharing the positive you know, stories that come out of festivals or the positive ways in which they're impacting people and the importance of events and bringing people together and enabling people to experience these wildly unknown worlds that are so far from, yeah, their everyday life. Reality. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It is. It's like a whole new reality. And when yeah. you think about how much people like to whether it's gaming, you know, there's that that form of escapism into a different reality. And, and festivals are just a different form that's more like tactile, in-person in version of that. And I think, um, yeah, we've, we've all, whether it's patrons or individuals that work in the industry, I think we can all play a role in helping to change that narrative. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly right. By, by having podcasts such as this, um, and communicate positivity about um, you know festival culture and, and the, the positives of it and, and and connectivity. I think that that we're going to start seeing a change in people's perceptions of, of understanding of what a festival is. Mm. And I think after COVID as well, like there's never been more of a need for people to connect, right? In in person, um, and and yeah, no, we can't necessarily be at that mass right now but there's something about being in a festival and having all of those people around you united to be there for one thing and just open and expressive and just with smiles on their now faces you're, now you're giving me chills oh. you're giving me chills like, I, haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't been to a festival in so long that I'm, I know, I'm right? now I feel like I feel like if you've put me into a trance of being at a festival and I'm feeling so good it is so. though if you take if you literally like transport yourself back and think about yeah putting putting yourself in the place of a festival and you were last at one and that feeling that you have when you see people the smiles on so many faces it's just incredible. I mean, it's mental even to think like 
given masks during COVID, you don't even see people smile that much. Um, and it's like, it, there's just something so important about keeping, keeping events and festivals alive. Yeah, and and for me, that those smiles and and you know the 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 feeling that people get when they leave the festival, it's what makes it worth it mm. for me to continue doing what I do, and 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 that's sort of my favorite part of, of being able to share what you create with with so many people, and for them to leave with a profound experience, um, it's it's a super special thing to have. Mm. Well, that's it. I mean, you're part of life changing events for people. Yeah, everybody who puts their time and effort into making these happen, into festivals happening, they are impacting individuals' lives in in a really, really fantastic way. So I think... I'd hope so. Yeah. I'd really hope so. Yeah, and I think you've got to, like, remind yourself of that and hold on to that because, you know, doing what you do does have a positive impact on others. Um, And that's why festivals are so popular, right? You know, if, if people 100%. didn't enjoy it, they wouldn't go and they wouldn't, they wouldn't sell I think, tickets. I think people don't even realise why they love it so much. Yeah. And then when they get back every time, they realise. Yeah. And it's, a, it's such a nice thing to know that that's the feeling you get when you go there and it's, you know, that you get to have an experience like that and you get to look forward to it for so long. Mm. It's very exciting. It's like a holiday. Exactly. Even though I'm always like, it feels like I'm home when I'm at a festival. <laughs> <laughs> every every day's a holiday for me. Oh, uh, that's people nice. always... They're like, how do, how do you party so much? I'm like, my, my work is, is one big party. So, you know, there you, you learn to party responsibly. Uh, you've probably just yeah. sold it to anyone listening who was like, maybe oh, I don't want to go into that. Oh, my life is one big party. <laughs> sold. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of hard work, though, I'll tell you that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> work hard, play hard, right? Yeah, that's the motto. Is there any other kind of wise words or key pieces of advice that you would love to share whilst you've got the mic oh putting me on the spot here um the most important thing to have our festival scene survive is enjoy yourself and party responsibly yeah and that way we'll be partying forever exactly yes responsibility is an important one look after yourself look after others and everyone can have a good time. That's exactly right. Sure. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I think we've covered some great topics and you've given some wild and exciting and interesting insights into the different hats that you've worn and the different projects that you've been involved in. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. And like I say, you know, keep doing what you're doing because you obviously have such a passion and a love for what you do. And those on the other end of those events clearly enjoy them too. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. I've uh, really appreciated sharing my stories and, and chatting to you. And I hope to listen to many more of these podcasts. Amazing. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Connectors. Hopefully you enjoyed the chat. If so, please subscribe, share with friends, support the community and tune into the next one.